Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And it's live. I hit the button and it does things. Man, I can't wait to introduce everyone to the guest today. She is so much fun and she is someone you need to know. How do I know this? Not not only do I know her, but she was recognized as the top 10 women in marketing and comm that you should know. There it is. She was also a winner in a B2B category uh, with uh, Nielsen Around the World. She's worked for brands such as Radiant 6, Billboard, Nielsen. You know, she is a marketing strategist, an entertainer, a DJ, and an all-around badass. Katie Morse, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm stoked that you're here. I, and, and what people don't necessarily know is we actually were able to connect in the airport after our, our prep call. You were flying into New York. I was flying out. We just grabbed some dinner at LaGuardia of all places. I know, I know. Way easier than meeting up in the city. But yeah, it was a... Uh, I was probably the most fun I've had in an airport in a while because usually yeah, you're right. there and it's like security's annoying and then waiting's annoying, but you don't want to get there too early, but you don't want to get there too late. So you're just right. like sitting around and instead we get to chat with friends, which is I great. Know. And normally if you're on a business trip, you're like you don't know anybody. So you're just used to just being like, I'm going to put in a podcast, the hardcore marketing podcast and just <laughs> go about my day. Uh, but time. no, you're here. So I'm stoked you're here. And the way we start off every show is we smash a myth. So what I'm going to do here, this is actually heavy. I'm going to pass you this thing. This, this is Thor's hammer. Ooh. Go ahead and take this brand new Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of bogus marketing strategy, a myth or just some misconception, something you need to clear up and just set marketing straight once and for all. Yeah. So there's a few um, when we were talking during the prep call, I think I kind of went off on quite a few tangents. So I'll try to summarize and I'll actually start with the last one first, because I think it's actually the most kind of sinister and pervasive. But yes. first and foremost, I've worked for both B2B and B2C companies throughout my career. Sometimes they do both, right? We exist in a dual-sided marketplace like Billboard, for example, um, even Nielsen, right? Because Nielsen needs consumer data to sell it to clients. So sometimes you're reaching out to panelists, to survey takers, and things like that. So, you know, B2B and B2C is really tends to be where I play. And I always hear this when B2B marketers talk about marketing is we talk about marketing like we're marketing to companies. And we're not. We're still marketing to people, just like B2C marketers are marketing to people. We might be wanting them to do different things, right? Sign up for a webinar or have a chat with a sales rep instead of maybe buy a pair of shoes. But fundamentally, we're still marketing to people. And I think B2B marketers some of them get lost in the fact that these people happen to have jobs that work at companies. But fundamentally, we're just people looking to connect with other people on things that will improve our lives. So that's right. kind of myth number one is like forgetting the humanity and B2B. And I okay. think companies that do it well keep that top of mind. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's, you can't really say anything to that. I mean, it's true. There, there are people. It's like, like, it's not like an AI is buying the software at a company. You're, but, and I guess, there, I guess people get thinking, well, I've got multiple decision makers. I've got recommenders. I've got all these other people. Right. So you have more people. You're marketing to a lot of people, people to get a decision yeah. made. Maybe not just one. It's not, do I want that pair of shoes? 
and maybe would my husband and wife, because we share finances, approve of that purchase in our shared right, budget. Sure. It's like, do you approve? Did your sales guy approve? Did your boss approve? Does maybe the CEO of the company approve? Like, but you are all still people. Sure. So that's yeah. kind of thing number one that well, I really why, don't like. Why do you think people do that? Why, how are we going down that? Like, how, um, how, do, how do we get there? What do we need to avoid to not do that? You know, I think part of it is sometimes it's just habit, right? I mean, we're, mm. we're approaching our markets not based purely on maybe demographics or psychographics, but also like company size, revenue. So like there's more that goes into defining our target audiences and target markets. And a lot of that is, is really like not people driven, right? Like I might work for a large global multinational corporation that makes, you know, $10 billion in revenue but I might just be in a different audience segment than someone who works for a small startup that's, you know, maybe just, you know, geographically limited to one country. So I think partially it's because of the data that we have to work with. Yeah. And a lot of that data really isn't people oriented, but then you start getting into things like buyer personas and you're straight back to people. But then we take Sally or buyer persona and still market to Sally as if Sally is like a faceless monolith, as if Sally doesn't have a personality, as if Sally, you know, maybe she has challenges in her job, but I feel like, even there, we don't go collectively in B2B as far as we do in B2C and making those challenges feel personal or making the solutions feel personal, for example. Any recommendation, like if, if I'm not sure that maybe I'm, I've lost a little of my humanity and my marketing, like what, where, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of market research. Um, consumer okay. insights is now what people tend to call, you know, really, in my opinion, great marketing research groups. I mean, you want to know what your consumers think, what drives them, what their pain points are, what problems you're trying to solve, how your product or service will improve their lives. And that's the same again for B2B or B2C. So if you don't have someone to turn to, I'm always a fan of finding maybe a third party, an external consultant, uh, you know, a small agency or something like that that you can go to. But I'm a really big fan of, you know, really just turning to, turning to your customers, even something like holding a focus group where yeah. you pull in some of your top customers or pull in people that work at companies you're trying to reach and ask them the questions that are on your mind. Like ask them to, you know, maybe review some marketing concepts you have or, you know, talk to you just kind of qualitatively about what strikes their interest, what doesn't strike their interest. Cause again, like people are different, we're unique. So even though you might have 15 Sally's or 15,000 Sally's in that buyer persona, like each of those different Sally's might react a bit differently. So I'm a big fan of, you know, literally injecting people into the process and asking people what they think or doing some market research to ascertain in a quantitative way what may have a better chance of success and why. I like that. The focus group thing is interesting. I've never done one of those. Have Have you been in one or seen one or the results of one? I haven't personally, no, yeah. um, but definitely a lot of really great, you know, colleagues of mine have run them. Interesting. Um, you know, like one of those like marketing bucket list things where you're like, yeah, I'd really like to do one of these yeah. one day. Like I'd really like to do that type of campaign. Right. For me, it's like something super simple. It's like, I'd like to be in the room where there's a focus group. I mean, you know, I've written the surveys for them. I've approved the surveys, but I've never been the person who's actually there. So little marketing bucket list item of mine. You know, if that isn't already there, we should make that real. Like we marketing should do bucket a focus list. focus group. Yeah, yeah, but even marketing bucket list 
like that's cool so yeah focus group now i just want to do one to do one that i just that's that's well, a cool could, idea you could do one with your clients yeah what about like you could do that virtual could you do like a zoom or do you need them all there the eating brownies expert. i don't know yeah that's a good question I would, I would actually go to a consultant and ask like what's the best yeah. way because i think for me at least part of it is you know, having a sense of comfort and being able to share your opinions. Um, And I just don't know what the research says about if that can effectively be done virtual or if it has to be in person. I would think there must be solutions and companies out there, but it's just not something I've dug into recently. Yeah. You know, my focus group has always kind of been like going out for dinner or drinks. And, you know, if you, after, after doing a, an all nighter dream force with a, with a client or two, then you're like, Oh yeah, they real honest, real honest, real (laughs) human. Um, the honesty is there good feedback, bad feedback, everything you need to hear. It's all yeah. there. Yeah. Do you Remind take you, good notes during those focus groups? Yeah, <laughs> but I, you got to write it down before you go to bed that night. Otherwise you, true. you may not remember in the morning. Very um, true. So, okay. So we got to put the humanity back in there. I think that's a good, like a level set with everyone. Make sure okay. you're doing this. Um, otherwise all the pr- other problems stem forth from it. Yep. Um, I would say myth number two really comes from my work in digital marketing. Like social media is not new guys. I mean, Google turned 21 this year. Facebook is almost ready to be in college. I joined Facebook. What was it? 14 years ago. Yeah. 14 years ago. So Facebook's like officially a teenager and it's been around for a few more years than that. Cause if my school wasn't one of the first ones to be able to join, like social media is not this new shiny yeah airy thing anymore like if you don't know how social media can add to your business and you think that it's a passing fad or you're maybe don't want to learn the ins and outs because you think that your buyers again put in the humanity back in b2b like you think that like the people that you're marketing to aren't existing on social platforms across all demographics you're dead wrong I mean, Facebook, for example, let's use Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, Instagram gets the younger demographics, right? Gen Z and millennials. TikTok gets Gen Z. Facebook itself, less Gen Z and millennials compared to people like baby boomers. But really, the demographics only start to drop off around age 55 plus for Facebook. So if we're talking about demographics, like you have a wide swath of people, literally like 18 to 55 that are on these platforms. So for me... When I talk to people and there's, oh, like, so I'm, I don't want to you know LinkedIn, not so much, Facebook, not so much, Twitter, not really? so much. Like that's for younger people. Like wow. I just want to use Thor's hammer all over that myth because oh, man. it's Smash not going people. anywhere. It's constantly evolving. So you need to keep up with the times if you're going to be a solid social media practitioner. But as business leaders, if you're just ignoring it because you think it's some new fad, like you are literally about a decade behind. Yeah, it it was some new fad ten to fifteen years ago. Yeah. Now it or more. So now you're just really old school, I guess, at this point. You just are out of it. You're out of the race. Yeah. I'd say like for me, what I classify as like new is really when companies started to pick up on it, which was like let's call it two thousand seven to two thousand ten or eleven. Okay. That yeah. was for me. You know, like JetBlue, for example, started their Twitter account way back when, and you had a lot of companies getting into it back then. I think Zappos is still a fantastic example of what can be done with customer service on social media. So you had these really great companies that were really investing in what they considered potentially this nascent platform, right? It might've come out of like their test and learn budget, but they tested, they learned, and a lot of them saw a lot of really great success. So 
I just think now as we're heading into almost 2020, I mean, it's what, like three months away, I'm still having <laughs> conversations about how new social media is. And it's with potentially legal teams. Wow. It's with, you know, colleagues across different areas of business and different businesses I've worked in. It's with all sorts of people. So it seems to still be this pervasive belief. And I, I'm just constantly baffled. How do you deal with that? I don't know if I could handle it in that conversation. You know, a lot of education. Um, yeah. I think bringing the real, it's like, hey, like if it's new, like how much time do you and your kids spend on Facebook? How much time do you spend on Twitter? How much do you hear Twitter on the news? Um, you know, how much do you spend on Instagram? Do you ever watch YouTube videos? Like talk to your family. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically also like with that, I think is still less so for some companies, but like we assume, especially for B2B, that we're marketing to people who are literally using a laptop like I happen to be, but we exist on our mobile phone and our tablets. Mm -hmm. And I think the two I hear, I hear, and maybe it's just how I receive what people are saying, but I hear it be kind of intertwined that like, oh, like mobile optimization, meh, let's worry about yeah, that right? later. Social media, meh, let's worry <laughs> about that later. And I'm like, but like literally, how do you live your day? And there's studies out there. Nielsen has some great ones, right? Where we're literally tracking how and where people spend their time. We're spending increasing amounts of time on devices. Right. We're spending increasing amounts of time with media, including content and, for example, social media, the platforms in which you create and you which you can consume content. So, you know, I think for me, that is also a big myth. And it's like, you know, that kind of leads to a bunch of other stuff. Like it's been called, quote unquote, the pink ghetto, where if you work in social media, it tends to be a job that you can be the social media manager for five different companies, less, less so of a career path than other areas of digital marketing, which is something that I'm always a big believer in as I'm building a team, as I'm, you know, working on my, with my team about career development paths, like if their job includes social, because mine at one point was exclusively social. And, wow. you know, luckily at Nielsen, I've been given the chance to broaden back up my wings because I've done more than social in my background. But it's something that I really try hard as a people leader to really bake in is that you're not just stuck in this one little channel because there are transferable skills because to be right. social, you have to be able to write. You have to understand data. You have to be able to communicate with all sorts of different people. You have to have a thick skin. You have to be creative and you have to have a constant sense of learning because it's all evolving all the time. And right. I think any other area of marketing, email, even communications and PR would be lucky to have someone with that skill set. But you're considered the tweeter or the social media intern. So that's less of a career, more of a job. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, how, how does that get a seat at the table? Do you just need to prove the ROI? Just start showing that... It's I mean, effective? potentially, I've, I tend to think that as marketers, if we can prove ROI, that's a, as sure of a shot as you can get a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, I was talking with someone recently, and they called marketing uh, selling at scale, which is, I think, a really interesting way to talk about marketing, because if it does provide a return on investment, then your area stops being just seen as a cost center and starts being a profit driver. Yeah. And what do you want to do with profit drivers? You want to invest more money in them, right? And the optimization. And there's a lot of positive focus from people who do have the seats at the table, like the CRO, chief revenue officer, CFO, COO, CEO. If they start looking at you in a completely different context, that's really powerful. Um, you know, sometimes it's really, for me, showing exactly the breadth of what social can do, that it's not just for driving ROI. It's not just for community management. 
what is community management? Even defining that can get a bit fuzzy. It's not just for customer service. It's not just for this. It's like, it's kind of a jack and all trades. I always liken social to email. What do you use email for? Everything. Email right. is yeah. a army knife, right? It can be a marketing tool. It can be customer service. It can help develop a better and stronger relationship with a client. Like it really depends on how you use the platform. And I think for me, social is very much the same thing, but those are sometimes complicated conversations to have and you have to know your audience. Sometimes if I'm talking to like a chief salesperson or a chief revenue officer, they really care about the ROI and how marketing can either drive or close business. Right. So cool. I'll talk to them about that first and foremost. They care less about customer service, for example, although they do care if they're the chief revenue officer because they mm -hmm. want to keep the revenue they gain, which means they have to have happy customers. Right. Uh, so it is also about knowing your audience. But yeah, this pervasive belief that social is somehow still new or not like a fundamental part of everyone's marketing mix just kind of kills me every single time I hear it come up. You know, I, I guess knowing the way people are, you, we might still hear it 10 years from now and then be like, get totally. out, get out of here. Totally. I mean, I think it's like for me, like email marketing was at one point new and now email marketing, some people kind of consider it old and boring. And I'm like, I'm, I would be happy if some people considered social old and boring one day, because to me, like there are very few companies I know of that don't invest in email, right? So that would, to me, mean that social has passed that chasm of like being like a test and learn strategy. Yeah. And it now is fundamental. Like give us old and boring, please. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've, I don't know. It's all, it's almost boring, but it certainly is old. It, it, it just seems like almost like table stakes. You know, in, in my mind, you just kind of, if you're not on, on there chatting, somebody else is. Yeah, depending on your, your business. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of the, not a lot of the pushback I hear, but it depends on the company, right? Yeah. Because again, like, we know, if you look at the data, you know that every single demographic is on some sort of social platform. Yeah. Your job is to figure out which ones you want to be on and you need to be on to reach the people you want to reach the manner you want to reach them. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like we forget the people who are like 35 up exist on social media. Meanwhile, millennials are still older than 35. So if we're talking about the millennial generation, like that includes the 35 to almost 40 now. But if you're go, Oh, well, you know, our buyers aren't really active on social media because they're all in like their forties or fifties. Yeah, they're still active. They might not post, but they have accounts. Yeah. They might, you know, read email newsletters, subscribe to a podcast, mm -hmm. attend to conferences, follow speakers, have a Twitter account that they just use to keep up with people. And sometimes they're not active, but sometimes people who are 18 to 25 aren't active, right? They don't think it adds right. to their life. So I feel like we just apply these stereotypes and then direct our marketing strategy based on them without actually making sure that our stereotypes and our assumptions are data backed. Like we're not checking ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we we have these stereotypes. Oh, where, where does that come from? We just it's just a natural human bias that we have. We just we believe something's the case, and then we just roll with it. And then we sometimes we see data, and we we just we kind of look at it in a way that supports how we already believe instead of yeah. Or really, you look at it, and how many times have you gone like, huh, that's puzzling, and like you've been surprised, and then it's like, I don't I don't know what to do with that. Like this, right. this doesn't back up anything, I think. Right. And then, well, that's what the data shows. Why does it show that? And I think that's the question that we need to answer. Right. More particularly, why, you know, why that feedback? Why that result? You know, yeah. I tend to look at something, if data comes back like that, it's like, uh-oh, something's wrong. We need to fix it. 
That true. Can't possibly You're more be true. of a problem solver. Yeah. But it depends on the, what the data is. Maybe it's an opportunity instead of a problem that you need to solve, right? Right. You know, I, I once was at this, uh, this agency where um, we were creating these landing pages for uh, one of the clients. And there were these like very optimized, like graphical, sexy forms, like super short, mm-hmm. ready to convert you. Fantastic. And then on the actual site the, itself, got a lot of organic traffic. They had the original long 12, oh. 15 field form. Ugh, so gross. And um, they did this study because they were good at doing these little studies where they'd say, okay, well, the people we got from those. Oh, and so we drove PPC to the, the, the cool form that we had just created. Okay. The short and everything one. else went to and the, then, organic, yeah, the right? organic, everything went to the, to the long form. And they're like, well, you know what? The people that fill out the long form convert way more. So me and they're like going off the deep end. Maybe we should make those short forms long um, and we'll get better people. And it's like, Oh no, don't like stop pause. And then um, I went down to the, the sales floor, I went down to the sales floor mm-hmm. and um, just sat with some sales reps and just was chilling with them. And then eventually started asking them some questions about the different kind of leads they were getting and responding to come to find out no one had told them that there was a short form. And so they believed everyone had the ability to fill out a long form, but the people that filled the short one out chose to fill the short one out and, no and like didn't care. So like, man, I don't want to fill out everything. And then the so people with the long form. like my name and email instead yeah. of like name, email, firstborn child, what home address, do, social security go. number, yeah, largest it's, goal in life, yeah, oh, also company size and title. Yeah, so they thought, uh, and even like more details of like, oh, planning, what you want to do and details about that. So they thought the ones that filled out the long form were better leads. And so they were cherry picking those, going for them, and they were leaving the PPC ones for later, if ever. And they of figured they're, they're bad leads, even though we'd spent like $15 a click and all, you know, right. we spent like lots of money to acquire them. They were letting them just sort of wither away because they thought these people were like subpar for not filling out the full form. Wow. And we like that avoided tragedy. Like, yeah, like human bias affecting yeah. the data results. Now, did you like commonly you'll have a short form that's the start of a campaign and then you'll have a little bit of a drip. So you get, you know, field three, field four, field five. Yeah. Like, were they just getting past both forms simultaneously or was there some sort of like drip campaign for the short form to append the additional information to equal the kind of breadth and depth sales would have to call them and find out uh, that information on the call. Okay. So no one like marketing had not bothered to talk to sales about how their process needed to change. Right. Or like the fact that we're sending two different kinds of leads. Now? I know, I know, yeah. I know. And technically, I mean, I could even own that, but like no one had thought, Oh, maybe we should let sales know that there's di- different kinds of leads coming through. Right. But don't worry. If you don't see many fields, it's not their fault. We didn't give them the opportunity to fill out the fields. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. And this how did you guys OG fix days, that, so. if you don't mind? How do we like, fix did that? You, did you just train your salespeople? Did you update the forms? Like, what was the action you took? Well, we you definitely did out? not add fields to that form. That, was, <laughs> that would be like over my dead body, we're adding more fields <laughs> to this form. 
that are pointless. We eventually um, paired back the the um, the organic one as well to okay. conversions. But yeah, we, we had to, it was like, oh, well, the data says this. Let's do this, Kate. You're like, no, no, I've refused. Like, Pause. Give me a second to go find out. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and this is even before the days of drips too. So it wasn't like there was an opportunity to nurture them to later get them to fill out a second form, at least not as easy as it is mm -hmm. these days with programs that do it. It was, yeah, this was early in the day, even before, I mean, we had a landing page app. I don't know if you remember live ball, but it was like oh back my God. in the day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like cutting edge, but we didn't have email tied to it. So it was one of those things. I, the days of the disconnected marketing tech stack, even I though know. today, like a lot of people still have very disconnected more tech stacks. Do they? I kind of take it for granted that, I mean, they should be connected. Some, some people, it, it's a challenge, um, which that kind of gets me into like, not to like totally take over or shift the subject, but like marketing myth three, which I think is the oh, biggest please one. Do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Smash. So for me, I think this is the one that's a little bit more insidious and pervasive because I don't think it has like one major cause. But for me, this, the fear that's included in by marketers about marketing, to me, that that's sometimes like a death knell for great marketing from a company. And I think fear can have a number of causes, right? Maybe it's... Um, Fear of, you know, not being seen as a top performer if you suggest something that maybe doesn't perform as well as you'd like it, right? So like yeah. fear of trying something new and the repercussions. Sure. It could be uh, ego-driven where maybe you just like know that this isn't an area that you know really well. And if people are investing in this area, they might take away from your area and like that makes you a bit uncomfortable. So that's a little bit more like, you know, kind of personal. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's, it's genuinely, and I'll kind of go back to like the the fear of like trying something new, but like a culture, like a larger culture of fear and like wanting to always play things safe. And like, I'm all for incremental improvements. I think that's a fantastic path toward like great optimization, yeah. but you can't have incremental improvements if that's like the only type of improvement you make. Oh yeah. Because then you're just kind of like inching yourselves forward and you might be in a situation depending on your market where your competitors are taking leaps and bounds because they're trying something new. There's also like in a larger aspect, and this is again, kind of going back to the company, like fear of standing for who you are, right? Like almost mm -hmm. fear of doubling down on what your company does, what your key value propositions are, what your position in the market is, why people need to use you. Like fear of really like owning your own persona and your own voice from like a corporate standpoint. Um, it could also be leadership. I mean, how many times have we all either worked for people or worked with people who just didn't seem to care about the specifics of what we do, no matter what part of the business we work in. And they just want a simple answer. And sometimes it's like, I can give you an answer, but it's not simple. And I would like mm. to explain this answer. And it's like, nope, no, no. It's, I just need the one, one answer. I don't care about the rest wow. of it. It's like, but the rest of it's really important. Like, this is why it's so like, this is the meat and potatoes. And like, I'm just giving you like the appetizer. Like I want to like, at least like show you the plate. And then like, you right. can decide if you want to, you know, have some of the meat and potatoes or not. So I think for me, fear is something that tends to hold people back both in their own careers from like going for that job that you mm. think you can do, but maybe it has a higher title or it's a little bit of a stretch. So you're not even going to put in your application for it. Right. 
uh, fear of career development because, oh my God, I've got to learn all these new things and it's a lot of work and maybe I don't have time or maybe I'm unsure like where I should spend my time or I'm unsure how this would reflect. Like, will it make me seem less into my current role if I start learning other things? Will it make me seem like I'm a less satisfied employee? It can affect our campaigns. Or maybe we have three really great ideas from either our internal creative department or maybe an agency partner and we choose the one that's you know, just kind of safe that like we know it'll return results, but we don't really want to go with like the stretch campaign. Um, it can affect even how you put your marketing budget together. I keep mentioning like a test and learn type of budget. I'm a big proponent of reserving part of your marketing budget always to test and learn. That way it's not the special thing that you need to get approval for every single time you do it. It's baked into how you do business. It's another uh. question you're going to answer. Like, how are we going to use these funds? What are we going to test next? What are we going to tinker with next? What are we going to try next? Um, and again, I think if you're just like working on incremental and inching forward, you know, you're going to end up, it's kind of like you're going to end up just the hair. You know, I know the hair eventually runs the race or the turtle eventually runs the race. Sorry, but you know, you're just kind of going to plot along um, and markets don't move in straight lines, nor do they yeah. plot along. Sometimes there are sizable changes. And again, going back to social, you know, if you put your eggs in one basket, for example, with social, what happens when these platforms change their algorithms? And suddenly what you had the day before doesn't work. What happened when Google makes an update? And suddenly what you had the day before doesn't work, so you need to change your whole strategy. If you're just improving on what you have, and again, like, we don't know these things. It's very frustrating to have to talk to an executive to say, like, literally yesterday this worked, today this doesn't. No, right. I had no heads up. No, I don't have a reason as to why this was happening. I just have to deal with it. And here's how I think to deal with it. Like, that's not always a pleasant conversation to have when there's money at stake. Sure. But again, that's where if you're always in an environment of testing and learning, you're having those conversations, not because something broke and you need to fix it or something happened that was out of your control and you need to pivot as a result, but you're having those conversations about new things you're doing and different ways you're thinking about things and that you are always keeping your eyes on the wider picture. So I think for me, fear, it just, it holds people back in their careers. It holds company back, um, you know, and it's really just this kind of insidious, pervasive thing that I would love to see companies be less fearful. And I would love to see marketers and marketing leaders be less fearful with how they approach their jobs. Mm. That uh, old Dune quote, fear is the mind slayer or something like that. Uh, yeah, fear, it just gets in there and it can kind of eat up at you. When you're mentioning the testing thing, uh, you know, I love the idea. By the way, I love the idea of the test and learn budget. Oh, that's, that's a cool idea. Um, and, you know, when you're testing, you need to have enough tests to know if if, if it's real or not. The statistical mm -hmm. relevance of something, that, you know, if you just – you know, to your point, if you inch along, I mean, don't spend the whole budget on something, but you need to be able to invest a little bit of your budget to try something new and it's not $4, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you, if you don't, you may miss that there's the win right over there, but you didn't give it enough time. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a balance. So you don't want to spend all of your money in the, the wrong place, but you do need to be able to test and learn from it. Yeah. I tend to think of it, I'm not a big salad eater because I just really love cards, let's be honest, but like building a really good salad, like you start with your base and then you add in a bunch of different complementary items okay. and you can make a different salad at a different meal, right? So for each company I work for or work with, they might have like a different preferred 
we call it marketing mix in this area, but if you want to call it salad mix, right? Like sure. to use the salad analogy, you might feel like a different salad tomorrow or a different salad today or the grocery store might be out of your favorite dressing. So you need yeah. to try something different. And I think if you're just stuck into that same recipe over and over and over, like you're going to be eating the food of the 90s mm-hmm. in 2010 or the yep. food of 2010 and 2020. And you're not going to be able to be as creative because you're always just trying to protect your little your little zone, right? You're trying right. to have the same salad over and over and over instead of realizing that like, I don't know, now you can put like pomegranate and chia seeds on your salad. And like sure. that's the thing that you couldn't get in the stores five years ago. But should we make the example like lasagna? That sounds like an even tastier example. I mean, it like, could, but I feel like how many make, ways can you really cook the lasagna? And we can go on a whole tangent about that. Okay. Well, well, I you could do like the vegetarian kind, the meat kind, the cheese kind, right? I, is that it? I Three? guess. I don't even know. I'm not really a lasagna expert. I just know that if I was thinking of a marketing budget, I want like a lasagna marketing budget, you know? (laughs) Not a salad. Salad feels a bit light. Arugula budgeting. I want (laughs) I want dense cheese and (laughs) you want some like you want a hearty meal. Yes, yeah, hearty meal budget. (laughs) Maybe salad can be the appetizer then for the lasagna. Salad can be sales' budget. I I want I want lasagna. Um, Salad can be the lightweight budget. Lasagna can be the heavyweight budget. So you would put more of your budget against marketing than sales. Um, yeah, yeah, more the variable budget. Yeah. Um, and how much? So here's another thing about fear. I find we don't often, or often enough, solicit opinions from people who don't like live and breathe our world. Right. Agreed. So like, yeah. for example, how many companies have you worked with that you hear from someone in marketing or someone in sales? Oh, I wish marketing and sales were better connected. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I have heard that or said that at every single company I have sure. ever worked with or for. Sure. Same thing with customer service. Same thing with account management. I think, you know, if we only take feedback from our little world, we might be missing opportunities. You know, we've had salespeople on here before. Um, they usually tear up the place. It's fun. Uh, but sure. it's, a, it's a great point, though, to make sure we keep inviting people, even on here, to let's get a customer service person on here, you know, and, and maybe some other disciplines, and then talk to them about what they do and how it could or should interface with marketing. Yeah, and their biggest challenges, their biggest myths, like their biggest annoyances, we all have our pet peeves. Yeah. What do you hate? Get some sales guy. What do you hate do you about hate marketing? the most? Yeah. I'll tell you about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. So I could almost guess what sales would say, but it's like, for me also, like if I hear that marketing and sales need to be better connected, I would say the second thing I've consistently heard is that like marketing really needs to give sales better leads. If sales isn't closing business, it's because marketing isn't giving them the quality leads they right, need. But if they do close it, it's because it was a terrible sales lead, but they closed awesome. it. Sales I mean, awesome. I'm just like the best salesperson ever in the world. I did as much as I could with what marketing gave me and I persevered. This lead was dead on arrival and I just, I resurrected it. I know, I, performed some CPR, now they're yep. living and breathing. Yeah, I shocked it, brought it back to life and now, now it closed the deal and we hit our quarter. <laughs> yeah, but marketing's not to thank for that. The lead, no, the lead, the lead. No, off. they just spend our money. They don't exactly, actually. exactly. Yeah, like I, the second most popular thing I hear from sales about marketing and vice versa. 
is what? Just well, so vice, the vice versa would be like, we give sales all these great leads and sales just doesn't call them or doesn't pay attention to them or sales doesn't well, that's realize true. how great they are. They don't actually call them. Yeah, well. Sometimes they I do. Mean, good sales people do. That's a difference, right? If, you, if you're at an organization where it's rocking, then some people are like, it's not even a different team. Like we're, you know, and we're just together. It just, it's mm-hmm. part of the same effort. And then other teams, I interviewed at one place where um, they wanted me to chat with a sales director, be in a marketing role. I thought that's mm-hmm. a great idea. And uh, he was like, yeah, I, yeah, I tend to think that marketing and sales should always hate each other. That's like a, it's like a healthy what? friction. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like some young marketer at the time. I had no idea. But I, something, I sent something like, hmm, maybe I don't want to be here. He, right. I don't, he doesn't even know me. He already wants to hate me. Right. <laughs> what I'm going to do. And He's then gonna be finding things to not like about my work just because he thinks that's what needs to happen. Right. I mean, maybe that's his motivator, but I don't know. I don't want to be his motivator in that way. Oh, <laughs> you know, somebody else um, was like a more senior salesperson, um, and came from like an oracle, and in his his approach was look, marketing leads are bonus. Sales, I expect you to get your own leads and close them, and I don't want to hear any of this stuff about marketing. You go source your own leads, close them. And if marketing happens to show up and give us anything, great but we're not going to count on it. I kind of feel like that's like the opposite and there should be like a happy medium. Cause I think, so for me, I get pitched by vendors all the time. I bet. And there what, are, what's your email? We can send you some more. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Don't need to be pitched by any more vendors. And for, I tend to not respond. Right. So I'm like yeah. the person that like vendors hate because they'll email me. They know my title. They know who I work for. Like clearly I'm in their target audience, but I'm just, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to give them the time of day. So, but I'll open their email because I do read every email that comes from my inbox. But I like, I'm not going to waste someone's time, right? So number Mm -hmm. one, if we already have a solution, if we're using one of your competitors, if I'm happy with them, I'm not going to waste your time. If I'm not happy with their competitors, I will call them. So the ones that keep emailing me that I can't unsubscribe from and like, that also makes me mad about email marketing. Like, you were marketing to me, right? I might just right. be an individual contact, but I should still be able to unsubscribe from your cold emails. Please, good God, let me unsubscribe because I'm yes. going to like your company a lot more. Yes. But if I can unsubscribe and I get, let's say, three, four, five emails, they all, like, number one, get increasingly desperate. You never want to <laughs> go on a date with someone who's desperate. I also don't want to do business with a really desperate salesperson because they're going to maybe tell me things that they think I want to hear over promise under deliver right. either way, not a great first impression. So some of them I end up responding to just to get them to stop emailing me. And usually I'll say pretty much what I said, like not looking for your type of solution. Now, if I am, and if I'm interested in speaking with your company, I'll reach out to you. Please remove me from all of your marketing campaigns. Please put me on some on sort of unsubscribe list. I sometimes get even more desperate and if not outright rude responses to that. And I'm like, you just forever removed your company from a company that I want to do business with or forever removed yourself from a company that I want to do business with. Because if I'm giving you a polite no and I'm spending my time to email you back to say like, look, like I don't want to waste your time. If I'm interested, you'll hear from me, Mm -hmm. have a good day. And you respond with hostility that doesn't work for me. So I feel like the salespeople who work for teams that they're just like, you have to go get your own leads. You have to go and like cold email, cold LinkedIn message, drum up business, do everything. 
it comes across to people like me mm-hmm. and it doesn't always set a most a good and positive light because then I'm going to remember that the next time I'm looking for a service fever description and darn sure I'm going to go look at all of your competitors as well as you and then only email the people for me you know reach out to people who I want but that's I'm going to I'm going to remember that yeah. I'm going to remember like horrible salesperson one from this company and usually even sometimes I've had to email them back and just request a different person to talk to. Yeah. So then they're not going to get that deal. Or if sorry, they do, not sorry. Gonna, Don't be a jerk. going to get the commission. Right. To your earlier point, you're selling to people. Be a person. Exactly. Don't be a And like, don't be a jerk face. Person. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't do the digital marketing equivalent of like begging for a date. That does, that works for exactly zero people. Please, please, please take my phone call. No. And also like, I never pick up my phone. I don't know. How, do you ever pick up your phone? You're like your desk phone? Um, do you have a so desk phone? I don't, but my cell every now and then, you're right. Yesterday, this literally happened. There was a number. I looked at it. Yay, it's from New Hampshire. I'm in New Hampshire, but yeah, Woo! I know they're all fake. And, uh, and I was like, oh, look, it's a spam call. Let me answer it. And for the first time in a long time, I was like, hello? And they're like, blah, 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 and clicked. Probably yeah. because it's one of those dialers to try to connect people at the same time. And I say so they already connect with somebody else. So they'll, they'll harass me later, I'm sure. It's the worst. Yeah. yeah, I just figure, and this is like philosophy for like my landline desk phone as well as my personal cell phone. Yeah. If I don't know your number, if my caller ID doesn't show who you are and I don't recognize the name, if it's important, you'll leave me a message. I do listen to my voicemails. But sure. I don't actually pick up my phone unless I recognize who's calling. Yeah. Yeah, I really can't these days, especially if you've gotten in the CMO cycles and you're getting pitched by everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about email earlier and, and I had this really funny example I wanted to read to you of like the Please. worst email I've ever received. Um, Wait, did you save it just to read it out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For oh sure. God. You know how we are as marketers, right? Yeah. We're like, oh, and I was like, oh my God. Let me this, this is... and share it with everyone I know about how bad this is. Yeah, it's bad. It has his name in there. I think I'll just leave his don't, name out. We, uh, we don't want their name. We I don't, don't want to like name and shame. We just want to shame. Okay. But he puts it in there, but I'll, I'll leave it out. I guess we know, all know it's a he, but that's fine. So it says, uh, in <laughs> Casey, comma, first in bold, this email is really from me, his name. I am in blank, 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 blank in the state. It is 89 degrees right now. And okay. I was like, thanks okay. for the weather report. Okay. But you know, it's just like, what you'll see is that each one of these lines, I'm basically getting lied to every line, right? Oh, no. it, it's like an automated email. So this really, e- this email is really for me. Second, it is not going to everyone on my list. We noticed your activity on our site, including a recent download of something, something, something. Okay. So did you actually download that though? I might have. Yeah. Okay. Might have. Um, third, we took time to review your funnel. I know wow. we have gaps in our understanding, but we tried to experience it as a customer. Fourth, it seems like you might be a good fit for a collaborative program we call blank. Yep. Right. And then it's this long, long, long. And I'm like, dude, don't lie to me at the very be- four times in a row we looked at your funnel this is really from me and all this i was like oh this and so i actually called them and i tried to get in touch with a guy leave a message he's on vacation okay so this so email went out he's not, on vacation not from them because he's on a beach somewhere he's on a beach somewhere where maybe it's 89 degrees on the beach that'd be a pretty good beach temperature right right but or how maybe, do they review your funnel like did you see they them did. 
They did. But you, if they did, you could have proven that by going and seeing their information and your marketing qualifications. Right. If system. you really did, you would take a screenshot of the fact that you filled out the form or something. Right. Yeah. And, but no, no. It's just like this. And was the formatting all weird? And like you had said, it was kind of like bold everywhere. Yeah. Like nobody bolds that their Why? personal emails. It's not personal. And you're telling me it is. Don't do that. Anyways, it's so inauthentic and I just hated it. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it's from like a marketing analyst group. <laughs> Wait, I hate for me, the ones that, and maybe this is just because like, so I'm also, as you know, also from New Hampshire, but I did grow up in the South. That's so right. yeah, small worlds. Um, yeah. but it's like the passive aggressive ones where like, I think I might've missed you. I think you might <sighs> be really busy. And I'm like, yep, I am. Yep. You did. Okay, great. Can we move on? Like get to the point of what you want to say, or like, don't insert this fake politeness or like try and kind of passive aggressively like put the onus back on me to get in contact with you like right. that that just gets my hackles up yeah and following up on your spam with another spam saying did did you get my message right it's like i did but i marked it as spam so. it's, i'm gonna mark this one as spam too please exactly. spam gods please punish this offender and exactly. make them stop sending mail ah, <laughs> block them block i actually have an entire uh like subfolder because i'm like a email like organizational nerd yeah so i like organize categorize all my emails so that i can always like go back and easily find them and then i auto archive like every x month so if it's like oh q1 this year mm -hmm. is in like this folder so anyways i digress but i do I like have that. an actual like pitches email address or like a subfolder so that any pitch i get I actually, in, instead of, usually instead of marking the spam, I try to not do that, like, at the first blush, because, you know, everyone's got to make a buck, but if it gets really bad, and I, I email them back, and they don't stop emailing me, or I can't unsubscribe, then I will mark it as spam, but mm. every pitch goes into this email address, and it's, like, little subfolder, so I can actually look back in time, if I really wow. want, and go, like, oh, yeah, you had, like, five different people email me over the course of two years. Like, do you just have a really high sales turnover, or are you just reassigning our account rep? Ouch. And then each time they're trying to get business from us because the previous person hasn't been successful because they won't be because we don't have any budget or we're already using another service that we're happy with. Like, right. why? Why? I love that pitch folder, though. That's, like, gold. You should save that somewhere. Maybe turn it into a book. Oh, yeah, but that'd be, that'd be a lot of shame. Um, there wouldn't are, that be awesome? A book, you just call the book marketing shame with like a bell on the front. Some like old lady hitting a bell saying shame, shame. <laughs> and then you had just pitches. It's a little with, bit more handmade tale reminiscent than I would like, but that, I like that was Game of Thrones, but either way. Oh, so uh, um, I was watching Game, a handmade tale the other night. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen that. Okay. You should number I one. Should. We can uh, talk about that later, but well, each page would have the, the actual like, email different. pitch on it. Nothing censored whatsoever. Uh. Their there's name, a, their email, their phone, everything. There's a few people that, uh, there's a lot of people I talk to that work in the same industry, right? Like marketers talk to other marketers. I sure. think it's a really good way to learn. Like pro tip, if you want to learn how to be a better marketer, like get to know other marketers and yes. like ask them questions and like see how they approach things. But it also can be kind of funny because it's almost like, everyone will get the same email within like a week. And it's like, how are all of these different companies getting like the same email from like salesperson number one that is equally horrific? Like it is literally the cup, cut and paste same email. And it's like, oh, like, you know, it's April. So Q2 has just started and they're just doing their Q2 roundup. And like word gets around. We all, we all talk 
to each other. Yeah. And so for the person sending that email, when Katie said, definitely go for it with your test, she didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> no. She didn't mean send that horrible email to everyone on the list. Yeah. That, that is a, that's not a smart test. That's what I call a spray and pray strategy. Yeah. Or some people like to call it like spaghetti against the wall and let's see what sticks. But neither of those, number one, are good mental images. And number two, like, neither of them are really successful strategies. Right. It's, it's like one step of, of in like Dante's Inferno of just straight spam. Just yeah. uh, don't even know who you are spam versus like one layer above that. And it's still I spam. I sort of have an idea of who you are because someone sold me information, but I know nothing about you and I actually haven't done my research, but I'm going to tell you that I've done my research in the very first line. I'm going to yeah. lie to you, just like you said. Yeah. Oh, and I'm personally writing you this email right now on the beach. It's 89 mm -hmm. degrees. Mm -hmm. Lies. I looked up the weather. It's not 89 degrees on that day. <laughs> I want a photo of the beach if you're at least going to like send an email. Number one. That's different. Send, send me a video. Vacation, right? Just, like, just don't. I hit quota. I'm on the beach. Bye from me later. See ya. Yeah. No, just don't, don't work from vacation. I don't like that. No, no definitely not work from vacation. That's the worst. You can't, no. you shouldn't do that. Or like, don't lie that you're working from vacation because again, social media, we can see that you're on vacation or respond and get your out of, out, right. out of office message. And when Casey calls your office to find out who are you so I can ask you if you're for real with your email yeah, and, and you're actually on vacation the day that this email was sent. The Busted. The Busted. Yep. Crazy. A couple questions for you. Yeah. What's your take on a couple of these things? One, um, Talk futuristic marketing. We know like social has been around for, for a long time. Podcasts have as well, but mm -hmm. I feel like there's this thing where now a lot of businesses are getting into it and just yeah. exploding. Yeah. What's your I take mean, on them? So podcasts have been around for a long while. If you don't yeah. already pay attention to Tom Webster, to Edison Research, um, you know, Nielsen also does a bunch of research about podcasts. There's a bunch of people out there who have been following this market for a while, um, you know, Tom is the one that actually I knew well before I worked for Nielsen, and he's been talking about the power of podcasts for for a long time. Um, I won't name names, but you know, a heck of a long time. So, you know, if you're not listening to podcasts, I think that that's fine. We don't all have to listen to podcasts. Sure. We don't all stream music, right? Like personal consumption. But yeah. I feel like podcasts are experiencing. I don't want to call it a resurgence because um, I don't know that podcasts were ever as popular as they are today, but podcasts are now the new hot thing. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me, I really like listening to podcasts. I'm not as big of a podcast watcher just because of the context. Like, for example, like I'll be listening to a podcast on my subway ride and you can't really watch unless it's downloaded. Right. Um, but I'll listen to podcasts. And for me, I like to listen to podcasts like, less about marketing, more about things that I don't end up spending a lot of time thinking about, mm. but I want to either know more about or proactively want to spend more time thinking about. Sure. So, you know, there's all sorts of podcasts out there. I think it's a really great format for learning. Um, I think it's a really great format for consumption because, you know, audiobooks years ago started becoming more popular. And oh, to yeah. me, depending on the topic of a podcast, sometimes they're just funny but sometimes they're kind of like an audiobook, but like episodic audiobooks where you end up mm -hmm. learning a lot about a subject. So I think like the hardcore marketing show. Exactly. Where you learn from different marketing experts. Um, right. you know, but I think podcasts are are really, really powerful because to me, it kind of removes a barrier, right? Like I don't have a car. 
So because mm. I live in New York, I don't need a car. So I don't listen to talk radio because I'm literally not in the car where I would yeah. listen. I don't even listen to radio really because I'm not in, I don't have a car, never in a car, 10 years, right. no car. Uh, podcasts, things that I can download, like great and things that I can start and stop. So if my subway commute's 25 minutes and the podcast is 45, cool. That's like to and from work. And then yeah. I've learned something new for the day. So, you know, for me, I really like them. And again, I don't think they've been as popular before as they are now. Mm-hmm. I like that businesses are getting into them. Um, and I like that businesses, at least the ones I see and like shout out to Nielsen. Nielsen has a podcast. It's called the database and it's nice. about all, all manner of topics. So sometimes database. It's about, yeah. Cause it's about data that Nielsen has. Oh, like God. oh, data, oh okay. Right? Okay. So, I get it now. At first I was like yeah. some matrix shit going on nah, here, but Nielsen has data, man. Oh, that's um, true. so shout out to Nielsen and the team that does the podcast cause it's on season three right now. And I think it's really awesome. Of course I'm biased, cool. but it's about all sorts of data. So it's not about like selling Nielsen's products and services. You won't hear pitches, but you will hear like, okay, like let's talk about, you know, seasonal consumption of certain grocery store items or like why Mm -hmm. the heck certain things are so popular. And like, let's pull on an expert to like, you're reading these, you know, reports, you're looking at charts and graphs, like, but what does it actually mean, man? So like we pull on experts to talk to you about what it actually means. Um, and it's again about all myriad of different things that Nielsen does and data that we have and things that we track, which I think is great. And I think a lot of companies like NPR has like a whole slate of podcasts, right? Yeah. They pretty much have podcasts for like every major show plus more. Yep. Some just started as podcasts, but I think it's a really great way to reach consumers. Um, I find that most successful podcasts, or at least the ones that I personally enjoy listening to, even if they're company branded, like they're not selling a product. They're trying right. to inform you and educate you. And like, yep. like I said, put the person back in B2B. They're talking to you as a person, no matter if it's about finance or economics or different data, for mm-hmm. example. I'm mm-hmm. a big podcast fan. Me too. And I think you really get to know people as well. Like I, I've gotten to really know you, um, but also I think the people have also we'll get to know you as well and myself as well because we've kind of like traveled through over a hundred now um, episodes together. So mm-hmm. that means I probably said the same corny thing a couple charms, but, um, uh, but also people are like, Oh yes. Say that corny thing one more time. Casey. Right. It's like your catchphrase, Casey. <laughs> you so have cool. a catchphrase. You need a catchphrase. I've got lots of them. Uh, okay. I'm sure people right now have their favorites. Um, but yeah, I have favorite stories. I have, favorite phrases i like to start the thing and end the thing the same way okay Um, that's consistency yeah that's branding yeah and also the more i listen to other people sometimes i'll i'll sort of take on whatever their phrases are too temporarily Mm -hmm. it's very interesting what about chat i've seen chat kind of like surface as well web chat on the b2b side Mm -hmm. yeah um i think it has a time and a place Mm -hmm. um you know number one it's kind of my pet peeve, like some of these chat, and this is more like pure UI and UX, right? But like if I'm on a website and I'm looking for information, maybe I'm looking to download a report. Maybe I'm just like browsing to see what your products and services are because I'm starting to look for, you know, things that you produce, or maybe I've heard of your company because someone else has mentioned it. And like, I like to know a lot about companies. So if I hear a new name, I'm always going to go to their website and learn at least just to see what they're about. So I can understand like where, where in the whole marketplace they play. But 
I don't know if you've seen it, like some of these chat interfaces are really like unobtrusive where they're just kind of like in the lower right hand corner. Mm-hmm. But then oftentimes I'll browse on my mobile, right? Because that's what we all do. Like you just yeah. go to a whole website on your phone and it ends up that like the chat takes up like the half host, of the yeah. screen yeah. or it's like even super large on my laptop. And I'm like, number one, I'm not just, please don't immediately pop up the chat when I hit your website. Like don't pop it up on the home yeah. page. Give me at least like four or five pages if you're going to automatically pop it up at all until you pop it up. I prefer personally to just have like a button to click so I can click chat and it either toggles me to a new page or toggles the thing open. Yeah. And then some of them, the interfaces, I feel like they're, it's like everyone hides their unsubscribe button in email. So I like, I have to hunt for it and it's like the super light gray and I'm like, you know, these are like blue light blocking glasses, but it's feel like I need to like put like a magnifier on to like find the unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel that way with some of these chat interfaces with like the X button. We're like, no, I don't want to chat with your bot. I literally just want to look at your website, find out information, like let me come to you. Yeah. It's kind of like they're going, do you want to chat? And I'm like, you're just a little bit over eager. Like, just let me figure out what I want first. Yeah. So I think I like it because then I can use that. Sometimes I've just used it because it's easier than filling out a form to get a salesperson to contact me, for example. And I just like had a chat, like, here's my name. Here's the company I work for. I'd like a salesperson to contact me at this email address. Here's what I want to discuss. Like, boom, done. That's like one message. And then they can route that appropriately. I mostly use it for service and support, but I will always go to a human if I can. And I, I just think that chat sometimes is more disruptive to my browsing experience than helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think the disruptiveness, you know, when I see it from every single website I go to, and I'm, I'm kind of joking, but it's, it's a good majority. It just turns me off. Yeah. So. yeah it's kind of, I feel like it's, a, it's, it's the sort of next stage of infancy, whatever that might be, where, it's getting there. It's getting adopted, but we're adopting it kind of like idiots to start. We're like, we're like being children with the way we adopt it. We're like, Oh yeah, let's put it on there. And then, yeah. And then especially bots, bots drive me crazy. Like um, a good friend of mine, Craig um, from qualified, another kind of a chat, uh, like his approach is look, bots can't sell, but humans can't scale. So we need to come together and figure out where these two things come, you know, mm-hmm. what the like, intersection of that, that is. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to talk to your stupid bot. Like I, I had a phone call today to talk to the bank and, and, um, it was like, tell, you know, tell me the computer was like, tell me what you're calling about today. And I was like, well, I got an email that said this transaction didn't go through, but I checked my accounts and they're all set. So do you have an issue? You know? And it's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I can't, could you say like, make a transaction? It was like, okay, no, yeah. you asked, you asked me. Okay. Otherwise give me a, a phone, you know, like a number to press. Yeah. Ask me to tell you what's going on. So let yeah. me tell you, uh, I know. So bots kind of drive to, me yeah. crazy. You know, like I, 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 I don't bots wanna... like they're five. I'm like yeah. representative yeah. customer. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I don't yeah. talk to a stupid so, bot. And here's the thing though, for me. And I, I like, I, I've never worked for like a chat bot company. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I'll use Apple as an example. So I just upgraded from like an iPhone seven with like the fingerprint to an iPhone 10 with a face ID Whoa. and I don't have face ID turned on. So I'm like back to using a passcode, which is fine. Cause I don't want to turn face ID on, but like I hear the reason they changed that is because they wanted to put fingerprint like everywhere. So you didn't have to press the button. They want to get rid of the button, but the tech wasn't there. So I hear in future iterations, 
I don't know, maybe they'll go back to fingerprint. I know some other companies already do with their phones. You can just like press anywhere on the screen and it registers your fingerprint. That's kind of the analogy of what I'm thinking about with chatbots and the whole chat technology. Like, is it a technology issue that provides the poor user experience? In the case of like the audio, right? Is audio recognition just not as sophisticated as it needs to be? Are we not using AI or ML in a sophisticated way? So we're like still doing the very basics because maybe we're only just doing like voice matching and not having you know, kind of any AI or then, you know, ML kind of helping the AI improve over time? Or is it like practice? So like, are these companies out there offering right. like, you can customize your chat bot a million different ways. You can have it appear when people first hit the site, you can have it appear after a series of actions. Like we kind of have a triggering mechanism built in much like you have like triggered emails, if this, then that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if to, about it enough to know if my poor user experience is a product of technology or product of decision making. Yeah, I do. I'd actually be interested to hear from I people do. who know more I know more exactly about what it is. It's, it's what all, is it? All to, it's all a lot. It's practice. It's, I call it strategy. So but like, yeah, it's, you know, it's all that focus. And I was driving me bonkers this morning, you know, because marketers we're all guilty of this we want to know the tactics of like well how how do i put it on the website and oh how do i change the color great what are you going to have it say when is it going to pop up and how are you going to not annoy the shit out of your customers yeah. when they get there no thought to that we kind of just go right to the deployment of it and it's like please just spend like one minute on strategy i know maybe it's the wrong word but it's like strategy yeah, planning it's just planning yeah. just one second ago hmm what's the best way to do this? I'm not sure. Also, Let's find out. Yeah. Like going back to test and learn, like yeah. look at the amount of people that have the chat bot pull up and then just furiously click X on the chat bot to close a little window. Like, and then test like, Hey, you know, like let's do an AB test. So yeah. visitor, visitor B to the website has this only pop up when they reach certain pages, you're going to have a smaller sample set to your, to your point. You need to actually have the budget to test. So you have statistical rigor yeah. and you have a like a solid sample size. It's not just like, Oh, first four people seem to like this. It's like, okay, like a little bit small. Um, but yeah, if it's all decision-making, then we as marketers need to do a lot better. Yeah. Not me as a marketer, I'm continually frustrated by the whole thing. Yeah. I think, I think it's the, the so oftentimes tech, tech pushes tech and it's like a drug we're like moths to a flame we're like oh no tech and then we don't even ponder how we're gonna it happens with marketing automation hey mm. you can email the world you can automate you can spy on people what are you gonna how are you gonna use it like yeah. mailchimp you know like oh come on you, you can automate you can nurture you can all these things you're just gonna use it like a, a plain email app i mean that's that's really what I, i've been sort of fighting that battle for years now just trying to help people know how to do it better but it's, be it's frustrating thoughtful. because yeah. they don't necessarily even want to hear that they want to hear how Talk about fear how oh, yeah maybe that that hides the fear they want to hear well how how do i change going to two columns on this email maybe you shouldn't even have two columns on that email but that's what you're interested in and so i kind of almost have to trick them like okay here's how you do two columns by the way here's some email best practices please don't violate these yeah <laughs> it's crazy now or do you find that those conversations happen with only certain types of people? Like, are you consistently mm. talking to the same types of people? Is it that we kind of as marketing and like our overall marketing culture aren't incentivizing people for, I'll call it from like from the top to the bottom to think about why? Like, is that mm. your impression? Because sometimes I find 
with certain types of leaders, with certain types of companies, with certain type of what I'll call it like a department culture, people are far more focused on the what than the why, mm. either because of their role, their role is entirely what based. So like yeah. you're talking to the wrong person in that case, right. or maybe Could it's be. a culture thing where they feel like they can't think about the why because the why is done above them and it's not their place to question the why. So therefore, even though they're kind of wondering why the heck we're doing this, why we're taking this approach, they're only going to talk to you about the what because of some sort of like cultural impact. Like, I guess, what's your take in working with marketers across all different companies? I'm assuming of like all different levels. Yeah. Like, do th you see that yeah. split happening? I could take stabs at it. I think sometimes it, it just, the, the higher up you go, the more you're, you're, you're thinking of, of the why and the what and not the mm -hmm. how. Um, and so maybe at the larger companies, the people higher up the food chain are doing that and mm -hmm. you're not doing that lower on. And, but then the challenge is a lot of us are just like a, in the S and B world, like a single marketer in a company. And so you're kind of being asked to do everything. And so sure. a lot of that energy goes first into the tech and I, I'm just like, strategy then process then technology you can do the tech all day every day but just do a little bit of that strategy and process first mm -hmm. yeah i don't know I maybe it's behavior it's potentially um i know in like the kind of business process improvement a lot of what my roles have always entailed is like okay we have this thing but how can we either rebuild this thing because this sure. thing isn't what we need ascertaining that the thing is or isn't what we need or just like improving and iterating and for me, kind of, you said like the strategy, the process and the tech, for me, it's also like the people are an important part. Yeah. So if we have a strategy and we know how we want to get it done, do we have the right people? Do we have the right roles? And to people get it could done. Be, yeah. Right. People could be like support from tech, right? People could mm -hmm. be like account partners. People could be full-time resources. People could be contractors, but like, how are we actually getting it done? Because I think right. that's also where if you only have one person, like there is an actual like limit to how much that one person can do. So then I feel like we lean into automation to yeah. eke out as much as we can. Maybe automation will never solve the problem we're facing. Maybe we just actually need to add another person, right? Because we can yeah. iterate and automate as much as we can, but like we're always going to get potentially, not always, but you know, in most cases you'll get more out of two than you will one. Right. And maybe that's why, maybe it's a changing conversation. So not like how can we automate more and more and more, like, yes, how can we automate? Like, we don't want to spend time doing manual things that can sure. be automated. But sometimes you need to not have things automated, especially when you start something new, so that when you build automation, you know what the automation can and should do. Right. So, and I find that, like, I like that. especially as I've grown in my career, like, I still want to know how we actually get things done and what roadblocks exist. Like, I'm a big fan um, you know, of the, it's called the three P's and some companies do it. Some people don't, but the progress you made this week, your plans for the next week and the potential problems. I always, always, always want to know the potential problems. So what can I, as a people leader, or even for me, like talking with my management, like what potential problems exist that if you can help me solve, will help me continue on the path that like we've all agreed that we need to be on. And I think for technology, you're helping companies solve problems. So even if you don't do it in terms of like a status report, you're talking to people and what they might not be saying, but what they're showing you is that I have a problem and I right. need you to help me solve it. But I want to understand why that problem exists because then I know the best way to solve it. I love that. Love the three P's and just 
I can't get, take credit for the three P's. Getting ahead of it. Way no, more, that's fine. Way more smart than me came up I'm with sure. It. I'm sure. But we're, I'm going to credit to you right now. And then... Credit to you for introducing it to you. I'll take that. <laughs> sure. So who are you? How did you become this wealth of knowledge and experience and this crazy marketer that just knows all these things and has opinions on everything? I mean, it's been so much fun to talk to you. Can you take us back to like little Katie days? Yeah. Um, you always know you're going to be a marketer when you grew up? No, no, actually I did not. Um, I think first and foremost, I'm just kind of, I'll call myself a nerd, but I'm, I'm just probably far too curious for my own good. So sure. I thought at various points in time uh, of my life about being a band director, I grew up playing music, violin, percussion, was like drum major of my high school marching band. As you mentioned, I was a DJ for a brief point in time. Um, you know, music has always been something I've loved. So I was like, great, maybe I'll teach music. Separately, I've thought about being a teacher, which I teach sailing in my spare time now. So I kind of get to scratch that itch and sailing is just something that I found as an adult and absolutely love. Um, I thought about being a lawyer because um, I really, I, I total nerd, like I'll work with our legal team and I'm like, oh, like, let's talk about this indemnification clause and the legal team's <laughs> looking at me like, wait, you actually want, you want to talk about that? And I'm like, yeah, no, can we please? Because I want to. I want to know the contract. I want to know like the, the paper behind the business. Wow. Um, and I like for better or for worse, I tend to like debate, debate and arguing and you know, really understanding. Some <laughs> we haven't argued things. yet though. No, we haven't. We'll keep no. this polite. Um, yeah, okay. That'll be podcast two. Okay. Um, number two, we'll argue. Got we it. We just bring up things to argue, have controversial opinions. It's Let's do like, it. You should just spin off like the marketing hardcore podcast and just be like controversial opinions podcast. And yeah. have like a bunch of controversial marketing opinions in a round table. Anyways, I digress. Until Twitter blocks me <laughs> for being too controversial. <laughs> hey. No, um, 10, six on one hand, six on the other. Um, so yeah, so I, I grew up kind of, you know, doing a bunch of stuff and being interested in a lot of things. And yeah. I never really fit into like one group or one category. Um, I kind of like to say, like, I always felt like you had person out sometimes, but you know, I was, you know, kind of friends with everyone, but you know, my group was five different groups because I kind right. of fit in multiple places. So for me, I actually applied for the university. I went to NC State, shout out to the Wolfpack, um, for computer engineering. Do they howl? Oh, I felt like howling when you did that. Yes. Uh, at football games. Oh so, yeah. I won't do it now, but at football games. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I applied for computer engineering and then oh, irony wow. of ironies, because this was back in like the early 2000s. I was like, oh, like, I don't want to just like sit behind a computer and not talking to people all day. So then I switched my major to business um, and I ended up doing a business major with a concentration in marketing because I've always been fascinated by people and what makes people tick. And I thought with as much as I'd seen marketing of Evolve, even in, you know, let's call it like the 90s to the early 2000s. I always wanted to have something new to learn. And yeah, I know that tech was evolving, but I also felt like marketing would be a really good mix of kind of figuring out how people tick and organization, understanding how to reach people. And I always felt like there would be a lot to learn. Plus I just felt like business was a pretty good general degree to have with a solid totally. foundation because no matter if I worked in the engineering department or not, I needed to know some business fundamentals. So that's how I started with marketing. Um, I'm kind of amazed that I seem to be one of the few people I know that actually uses their undergrad uh, <laughs> in their daily life. But I can pretty conclusively say that very, not very little, but like I work in digital marketing, right? So yeah. not many of my classes touched on where I spend my time now. 
but a lot of them touched on the strategy and the business fundamentals in the Got foundation. It. So like the specifics I really had to learn on the job and I keep learning on the job and keep pushing myself to learn, but the strategy and the foundation and like understanding how to read, you know, a PL, understanding, you know, gap, understanding mm. what a finance lead or what an ops lead might be concerned about understanding like different ways of production, like all That's of cool. those really have helped me, I think in my career, but also I think the, for me, the biggest thing is just lifelong learning. I think if you stop learning, you, you tend to fall off of relevance and you tend to not be as I would say as powerful of a person as you could be. You tend to minimize your seat at the table if you even have one mm -hmm. or you know, you're just not, especially in the world of digital marketing, you're just not going to be up on, doesn't even need to be the latest trends, but like the latest strategies, the latest tools, the latest evolutions, like you don't always need to be like ahead of the curve, but if you're completely missing the curve, then you're missing something. So I'm a huge fan of lifelong learning. I'm actually really excited about the innovations in that space where, you know, learning is being democratized. So yeah. it's enabling people to get into career paths that they might not have had. I also feel like kind of culturally in the world, there's a greater understanding of what we used to call like alternative career paths. So people who maybe didn't go to college, but got experience in some other way, jobs that don't require college degrees and also just access. Um, so anyone can go on the internet and look up a YouTube video or go to one of the online learning platforms and, you know, really help keep their knowledge up. Um, the barriers to entry are much lower. And that's also where I'm just always baffled. Like when people don't take, the time to learn. So right. that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell is, you know, always curious, always and curious, has a lot of very varied interest. Me too. I, I, I can completely relate to that. And then when you're saying at school that you started out on the computer science route, engineering route, and they were like, well, like I, same thing, except it did, it took me a computer science degree to go, well, <laughs> oh, really? You did and the so, whole degree. I did, but man, it was so painful. All the math, oh, so much math. And yeah. math I'll never used ever again. Um, but it makes me feel smart. Uh, but, but at the same time, all my electives were calm the whole time. So it was kind of funny that, you know, I had the technical side, but it's like, please, I want to talk to people. And they kept yeah. taking me deeper and deeper into the computer where eventually it was like a microprocessor, where it was just a gate, like a garden gate, open, close, mm -hmm. open, close. And you're like, really? I'm I'm opening gates at a microscopic level and I'm not talking to anyone on campus mm -hmm. because this is what my, I'm like, oh, I want to talk to people. I, for me, computer science, I thought, oh, networking, AOL at the time, you know, like that kind of computer. But it was, mm -hmm. it was so much more just coding at the base level. So yeah. I'm glad you were able to break free and you could still be technical, still be digital, but you had that cool foundation. Yeah. I mean, I love talking to developers mostly because I know how hard their jobs are. Yeah. So, you know, I understand enough because hard. I, Come on. They're, they're drinking monster looking at a black screen with colorful letters on it. Yeah. But like, it's that one misplaced, like semicolon. It's a semicolon like, all the time. Every time. Always the semicolon. And you're like, this thing doesn't work. And you're spending 10 hours of drinking monster to try and figure out where either that extra semicolon is or that missing semicolon, whatever yeah. it is like that's infuriating. So, but like I, you know, I learned C++ like way, yeah. way back, like almost 20 years ago now, you know, obviously being in marketing, existing on the internet, like I know enough HTML to be dangerous. I can talk to you about good UI UX. I can understand like where certain development constraints happen, 
um, I kind of like to be the translator in between like developers yeah, and totally. people who don't understand development, but it is a skill set that I don't have enough patience to possess. So mm-hmm. total respect for the good developers out there because they solve, they solve some really hard problems in really cool ways. And it requires a heck of a lot of thinking to do it because you have to, to your point, if marketers have to understand strategy before they start talking tactics, developers have to understand like what the end goal is I know. and what the parameters yeah. are and what the constraints are before they actually start writing a single line of code. So that's true. Well, I guess shout out to the, the devs that uh, created yeah. this PowerPoint and created the zoom meeting for us to play on. Exactly. Shout out devs. Thanks for staying up late. Hitting that Thanks monster. for keeping us employed. Yeah. Doing the things you do on, on exactly. your nine monitors and yeah. the buggers that never speak English and they always speak cryptic languages so I know. you're right you're like, what it, does this mean everyone's got their their part to play in the whole operation yeah 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 for sure now all this career all this crazy stuff you're doing if you were to go back in a time machine to when you first got out of school and give okay. yourself advice on like career life whatnot like what would mm-hmm. you go back and tell yourself uh, beginning of your marketing career kind of thing yeah i would I'd probably tell myself two things. One is don't, don't doubt my gut so much. And that's like more than just marketing advice. I think I was, you know, in my early twenties, like always wondering, like, should I really trust this instinct? Should I not? Like I didn't have a lot of context, right? Especially in like the professional world, but even like existing as an adult, you're, you're still learning. Um, But I have, consistently found that the times when I trust myself the most, even if it seems kind of crazy to other people, you know, maybe it's, you know, survivorship bias, if you want to call it that, like, I I haven't made the choices I haven't made. So the choices I've made that, again, have seemed kind of crazy to other people, like, I can't think of a single one that I regret. Um, So that'd be like, thing number one is like learning to like, really trust my gut, and not like, rely on pro and con lists so much or, you know, like double checking every single thing. Sure. Um, just learning that a bit earlier. Um, I think number two is, you know, for me, when I look at, you know, the roles out there and the companies out there, they tend to want to hire really two different types of marketers. So like, this is more like career wise. I am a breadth and depth marketer. So first and foremost, breadth, right? I've worked across a bunch of different types of industries. I've worked across a bunch of different marketing functions. I'm not going to be suited for roles or companies who just want the same person who was a manager and then a senior manager and then a director and then a senior director and then a VP and so forth and so on in that same area. That's kind of the depth first, breadth second, if at all. I'm much more not jack of all trades, master of none, because I'm also a firm believer that like you need to know your areas of expertise really, really well. But I am a firm believer in context. So I always want to know, to your point, like I always want to talk to the salespeople and the customer service people and the finance people. And, you know, how is revenue recognized? And how are you closing deals? And what are your problems? And how are you serving the needs of your customers? And what tools and tricks are you using? And what do you find that's successful? And what's qualitative feedback, right? So I'm a context person. I think for me, the breadth of my experience helps me have context so that I see things in a different way than someone who is, for example, like just done social media since, you know, 2009, whatever the case may be. I'm kind of picking on social media because I spent a large number of years doing social media after I had done other things and before I started doing other things as well. So 
that was, you know, a period in my career where I really was entirely focused on social. But, you know, for me, I realized that I'm not a fit for every company. I'm not a fit for every role because I'm, I have a lot of breadth and the areas that I have depth in are important, but they're not the areas that I'm like, I'm not like a linear person. I think someone, um, who actually worked with at Nielsen, um, you know, has said this in the past and they said, you know, that careers should be like jungle gyms, not like ladders. And that really resonated with me because I think Nielsen, wonderfully so, you know, gives people the ability to have jungle gym type careers, um, even with all the change the company is going through. And that's an opportunity, right? Um, I think I've been with companies that really only think in terms of ladders. So understanding that it's just as important for me to find that jungle gym type of fit, because that tends to be the endless curiosity person that I am, rather than ladder, kind of goes back to trusting my gut, but it's more just understanding the context of, you know, at points in my career, I've been searching for jobs or in points when I've been looking for new opportunities within a company, understanding if I'm dealing with a jungle gym or a ladder, knowing what I am, knowing what the situation is, knowing what the company is, I think is pretty powerful. Um, and again, I find that pretty consistently that companies want one or they want the other. Um, and for me, I just think knowing that about yourself in, for me, figuring that, that out, luckily, I think I did that pretty early on in my career. It's actually really helped me when I've maybe been approached about roles or searching for them, like narrow down that field to something that I feel is not only going to be a fit for today, but a cultural fit for years to come. Love that. Love that. Yeah, it's funny looking back and sort of the wisdom you gain just from going through the tough things, you know, and and also the good things and then kind of the hindsight. It's not even just 2020. It's like it's it's always interesting looking back. Yeah. And hindsight isn't always 2020. Sometimes there's the stuff that you're just you're like right. that I don't I still don't know where that came from. You know, like that hit me totally left field. Sometimes you're like, oh yeah. And like, I feel like as you get older, this becomes more common. Like, I don't know where that came from. I feel like for me, it was a little bit, a little bit when I was younger, not that I'm like super old now, but definitely like middle-aged. Um, now I feel like I'm like, okay, I'm evolving because now I'm like, oh yeah, I saw that coming mm -hmm. or I had a hunch, right? Like mm -hmm. my gut was kind of indicating something or I wasn't completely unaware, but yeah, I mean, sometimes Sometimes things do just hit you. Um, and again, I think that's where, at least professionally, always trying to be on top of your game, always trying to learn, always trying to develop, always being curious. When stuff does go pear-shaped, right? Maybe the startup you joined suddenly lost a client and they had to lay off half of the marketing department. Or right. maybe the company you joined, the stock price really drops and there's continual you know, budget cutbacks and staff cutbacks or investment in like the area that you don't work in, right? Like mm -hmm. all sorts of, maybe you have a manager that is fantastic and the reason you join the company, they decide to get another job. Your new manager comes in and suddenly it's not that great of a job anymore. They have a different vision, whatever the case may be. It can also be on the opposite. <laughs> right. um, you know, where, you know, maybe you join a company because the company's strong, the manager's not so strong. And then suddenly you have a new manager come in and it's like the sun is shining uh, again. Oh, um, okay. So it's not, like always to be, not always going to be negative. Um, but I feel like as I've gotten older, you know, I've, it's not even foresight. It's just, no, 
yeah, that's not entirely surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And when stuff does kind of come from left field and you get knocked down, I feel like it's easier to get back up again sometimes. Yeah. What is what did I hear? It's it's um it's not getting knocked down, it's the getting back up afterward. That's the that's the important part. It is. You know? It is. Yeah. And I you know, I mean, I think for me, like when I graduated college a few years later, the crash happened. Mm. And so I've been both lived through like what the largest economic expansion in history, Mm -hmm. as well as one of, you know, what the great recession. So one of the largest crashes in history and the context in which I've experienced those things, like my life context has changed, right? Like it's, there has been a decade in between at least just the end, you know, the kind of beginning of the financial crash and now like two years ago. So my perspectives have changed. My personal context has changed. But even in my, you know, shorter career, it's not like I've been working for 30 years. I feel like I've also come to understand that the world around us matters just as much as the job we do. It does. I mean, it's, it's like us in the context of the world. Yeah. For I mean, sure. We all just try to live our best lives. Whatever yeah. Just, that means. just be, just do. Yeah. And do good, like leave the world do better good. when you go to bed than when you woke up. I think absolutely. Where can people reach out, connect? What what kind of social platforms? Yeah, if, I guess if they don't have them, they got to get them so they can connect. They are. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much in all of them, as one would expect. Um, yep. You know, I tend to post less than I consume. Um, so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I keep Facebook pretty tight, unless like you know, like we've met, you can be my friend in Facebook. Yeah. People I haven't met, not going to let them into my Facebook. Uh, right. Professional connections for LinkedIn. Um, I pretty much follow anyone I find interesting on Twitter and same for Instagram. So I'm Miss Katie Mo, M-I-S-S-K-A-T-I-E-M-O, pretty much everywhere, although it's just first name dot last name on LinkedIn and Facebook. So Katie Morse, M-O-R-S-E, like Morse code. Awesome. Which now like young kids start to know. Apparently there's like a Fortnite tie. I don't play Fortnite. Oh, Morse code. Taylor's in Morse code. Like I say Morse and they're like, oh yeah, like M-O-R-S-E. Other people, they're like, spell that for me. But I feel like Morse code is kind of experiencing a resurgence. No related to the guy that invented it, unfortunately. Right. You know, it's funny. I played a lot of games like Civilization and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. some of the weapons of war they had were like trebuchets. And so a trebuchet, I just... I've lived with trebuchets for years, but it's not exactly people know catapult and they know yeah. maybe, you know, um, a cannon, but a trebuchet, uh, not in a common vernacular has, has a nice long range, longer range than a catapult. It's fantastic. Ah, Got to be so, selective uh, about your weapons choice. Maybe. Yeah. There you go. When you're playing civilization. So, yeah, well, very cool. Thank you so much for coming on here. I just, I just had so much fun just sort of hanging out, chatting, marketing life, just, hashing it out and you're right we'll have to have you back on here do a debate series and and you know go off on tangents and and i do want to dive into boating at some point and sailing so thanks again for coming on here you're welcome thank you so much for having me and i'm totally up for the debate session Ooh, i don't know if i am i'm getting all nervous now so Ooh, uh <laughs> you can be the moderator you uh, just ask yeah. oh, everyone else to debate. Oh, thank. Oh, yeah. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, guys, guys, let's just get along. No, Casey, this is a debate series. All right. All right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's fantastic. We'll definitely do that. Um, awesome. And for everyone listening, if you learned something here, and I know you did because I literally have 
notes out the wazoo I've written down, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to someone else, even just one person by sharing this episode with them and, uh, and seeing what they think and help, in, help encourage them with their career and, and that jungle gym of life. Uh, and so, yeah, thanks again, Katie. It was, this is fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much, Casey, for having me on. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you. And everyone else out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Yeah.